Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of Renar Voice. My name is Robert Swatala. I'm one of the co-hosts for Renar Voice. And with me, as always, my friend and co-host, Jeff Mazone. How are you, Jeff? Good morning, Robert. How's it going? It's going pretty good. It's going pretty good. We're, we're moving along here. We're getting into the, the, the fall season, um, which I enjoy. So time is ticking. But that's okay. That's okay. It's it's part of part of life, I guess. Uh, we can't stop it, right? My my two year old is sitting on the couch right now with a hoodie, a blanket, and a heating pad on her lap. Oh wow! Okay, so she is ready for fall. She right she's, now she's prepared. And our guest today lives in Florida, so he has no idea yeah, what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, that, no, that that's a sour <laughs> subject. We, we won't even get upon that today. Hey, and speaking of guests, you know, one thing I was I was thinking about we were we were hitting upon it a little bit um, earlier. Just that one of the neat parts of this is the opportunity to spend some extra time uh, with professors, faculty, and, and just other professionals in the counseling world. And just on specific topics that we don't always see in the classroom. And it's kind of like getting extra credit, you know, f- for, for free really. And, um, I think that's a neat part. And I know that you've had that, that experience. And you've had a lot of faculty that you've had on me, not so much, but you, you have had a lot of them. And I just think that's a really neat thing. And I, I'm, blessed and honored that we get that opportunity to have it. And, and I hope our listeners feel the same way to sure. be able to kind of get that free extra credit. So, um, uh, and that's why I think I use that word excited because it's just an opportunity that I never thought I would get. I was excited about today. Actually, I wanted to tell you how excited oh, I was. You're going to use that word, huh? Yeah. Yeah. All right. But see, I, it's, it's, it's tricky. You know, it, it, it sticks with you. I had a, I had a funny little story to tell you. Can I share that before we sure. get into it? Okay. Sure, so, absolutely. so I was sitting with my wife just talking about trauma, right? And, you know, we know about the fight, flight, freeze and all the different brain parts. And I'm going on and on about the, um, in the brain, I'm going on and on about the Amidala. Mm -hmm. Just looking at me like, like, yeah, you know, the Amidala, it's like the threat detector, smoke detector. And the problem is, is that it, you know, it it doesn't sense things properly anymore. And Amidala this and Amidala that. She goes, (laughs) Jeff, she calls me baby, baby. You mean the the amygdala? And I was like, no, it's the Amidala. She's like, no, 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 that's Padme Amidala from Star Wars. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, I'm so glad we had that conversation then because I would sound like a real idiot in session if I'm going on and on about the Amidala. I'm like, oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hope I'm pronouncing that right now. Is it amygdala, right? Is that what we're Yeah, doing? I think that's I think that's the right way. Yeah. yeah. Shaking his head. I, I know it's not Amidala. I know that for a fact. So I, I never I, saw I that one. I was saying it with such like conviction, you know, like yeah. I was super excited about yeah. this, like the Amidala and all this. Thing. See, see that Star Wars is now seeping into your brain and affecting. affecting and I realized it had been a while life. since we talked about Star Wars. It has been, yes. I thought, I thought maybe we got past that. You know, you, you've you've kind of grown and, and gone past that world, but I guess not. It's, Bro, it's stuck with you. I had, a, I had a teenage client. He was going on about Legos, and I just dropped, like, this super nuanced Lego Star Wars thing. And the kid was like, I can't believe my counselor knows about that. <laughs> and then we're talking about Star Wars, and he's going on and on. And I just went, Ahsoka Tano is the best thing to happen to Star Wars since 1983, right? And he goes, heck Yeah. <laughs> there you go so it's it's paying benefits for you oh you know? man yeah talk about rapport it's building therapeutic relationship right there That's you go it. 
It's it. to your advantage. And you know, uh, that's all really helpful for because of the theme of our uh Yes, it today. is. So. Yes, it is. That's a that's a great segue into today. And and this is gonna be a really neat discussion. Um, something that I'm I'm just fascinated. It's, it's I think it's completely out of the box. Um, something that I've never been exposed to or heard about in this context. So um I hope our listeners find it just as um exciting and, and interesting as as I know I have. So Jeff, if you could, could you introduce our guest? Guest for today. Yeah, so today we have Dr. Kevin Hull, uh, who is an assistant professor at Liberty University in the counseling department. Uh, he also owns and operates Hull and Associates, a private practice in Lakeland, Florida, where he is licensed. Uh, he works with children and adolescents and their families, uh, most particularly those on the autism spectrum, and has been doing that since 2001. He conducts weekly individual and group therapy sessions with children, adolescents, young adults, and families. He's been a professor for 18 years, uh, and including his time you know, there at Liberty University. He's published a number of books uh, about play therapy, uh, which we can include in the episode description. He's even uh, written a novel about play therapy. He's also published several chapters for textbooks and journal articles. He specializes in using electronic devices in group and individual play therapy. In his dissertation work, examined the use of video and computer games as a play therapy tool with children with emotional difficulties. Dr. Hall enjoys open water swimming in the Gulf of Mexico, playing golf, long walks, biking, and spending time with his wife, Wendy, and their four children. So, Dr. Hall, welcome and thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a great honor. So... Dr. Hall and I uh, connected a while ago, uh, and then I listened to his Thoughtful Counselor podcast from, I believe, 2019, uh, which was about mm-hmm. uh, the use of video games, uh, which I thought was really fascinating. And then um, you were on Dr. Knapp's podcast uh, just recently, right? right? And then I thought, well, we can't ask Dr. Hall to come on. I mean, how many times is this guy going to talk about the same topic on podcasts? <laughs> Even though it's really fascinating, like, I don't want to ask him to do it again. And so I reached out to you anyway. I think Dr. Hall and you said, well, I've got something I'd love to talk about. And I mean, this topic is fascinating. If I'm understanding you correctly, the idea of using play therapy in prison with incarcerated fathers in particular. Yes. So... I mean, can we just get into that? Like, how did you begin using play therapy in this setting? Well, uh, it was a process. Um, (laughs) I had a little guy uh, in my office and his father was incarcerated. And this this little boy just craved his dad. Uh, It was one of the most stark cases of father hunger I've ever encountered. And it was affecting him all across you know, from school to home to um, just an internal sense of unrest uh, that he wanted his dad. He had gone to visit his father and the visitation process was somewhat traumatic for him. So he was afraid to go to uh, the prison and visit him. So as I worked with this little guy, um, I became a witness to what it's like to and I've had other kids whose, whose parents were incarcerated. Um, I've been a mentor at a local children's home for many years. And all of the young men I've mentored had uh, either an absent father or an incarcerated father in the foster care, uh, those kids in the foster care system. But I was a witness to a more personal um, connection to it. As I walked with this family towards dad was getting uh, released. and so. 
you know, for those of us not familiar with prison, it's like, yay, that's a glorious day. You know, Shawshank Redemption, you get out and life is just grand. Well, um, the barriers that were encountered, you know, for this father to reconnect with his family, um, reassimilate into the community, excuse me, um, were immense. And so as I walked this little guy through reconnecting with his dad, um, there were other barriers that popped up. And one of those barriers was the avoidance of this father with his son. And so um, what ended up happening was that uh, overall, this, this father felt so much shame and guilt that he could not be present um, to rebuild this connection with his son, even though it was what the son wanted. And so the father ended up um, violating probation and going back in, uh, leaving this little boy um, just completely devastated. And so um, what I witnessed in that was this father had so much shame and guilt and in his own self-development didn't have the context. He didn't have the safe space for this relationship to regrow and rebuild and then sustain it. And so it just kept nagging at me. Uh, I'm really good um, after 25 years of counseling to be able to compartmentalize things. I don't let things bother me once I'm home, I'm home. This case just churned inside me. It wouldn't rest. And so I thought about how many of these dads are in prison? And as our culture melted down, not just with COVID, but um, with this whole, you know, just the civil um, injustice, the social injustice, the unrest between, you know, everything being divided, um, I was really challenged in my heart to say, okay, I've been in the field a long time. I have this knowledge. I have this wisdom. What if? I went to a place like prison with what I know. I'm, I'm a certified group psychotherapist. I'm a registered play therapist. I, you know, I have the tools. And so um, that's how the process began. I made a cold call to the prison, got hung up on three times, uh, finally got to a chaplain. Uh, the chaplain was blown away. Um, he said, you know, don't take this the wrong way. I see you teach for liberty, but We've got enough Jesus in here. What we need is the next step to not only teach um, working skills, but we need that internal growth process so that they can go back to their communities. I mean, the numbers are staggering. You know, there's 2.3 or so million incarcerated people in the United States. About 800,000 of those are, are parents. Um, and 92% of that 800,000 are fathers. And when you look at um, the numbers of people who get out and stay out, it's only about three out of 10 um, make it through and, and remain um, living a life outside of incarceration. And so um, that's how the process started. And so I began doing research as I felt this call upon my heart, I started reading and I started looking at the literature about incarcerated persons, incarcerated fathers, um, 
And then enough, um, I've been doing this about uh, a little over a year. Once COVID lessened enough and I could go in, um, I started uh, my classes. So that's, that's basically uh, how it got going. It was a, an experience with that young man, um, the little boy, the, the, the call upon my heart. And, and just looking at our culture and our society and saying, where can I plug in? And so that's how things got rolling. So that's so interesting how, how that sequence of events got you there. And, and some of those statistics are pretty, uh, pretty alarming, really. And my question to that, you know, my mind's kind of wondering, first of all, what kind of play therapy? Uh, I'm sure it's structured different than maybe you would use with a child in your counseling office. And what did you notice using play therapy that maybe traditional counseling or therapy models in that type of population didn't provide? Like what was, what was the added benefit that you saw from using play therapy versus using some other type of, of intervention method? Yeah. Thanks, Robert. That's a great question. Well, my whole approach in my career has been uh, because I've worked with outside the box clients, um, families, individuals, uh, mainly on the autism spectrum, you know, traditional counseling approaches are just, they just, they have nowhere to land. And so um, keeping that creative side of me going and rather than looking at, okay, here's the tools, I'm going to apply these to this person, I get to know the person and then I figure out, okay, what would fit best based on theory, based on application of, of technique and thing like that, things like that. So I was very comfortable with, you know, going outside the norm and rather than having a, a formula, so to say, so to speak, um, diving into the literature, pulling from theory, pulling from technique, but then also getting to know the people with whom I'm working, what's life like for them? And so going deeper than just a few movies or, or, you know, a TV show about prison, but actually going there, walking where they walk, um, seeing what life is like. And, you know, most of us, unless you've had a family member who's been incarcerated, we don't know um, it, that's a world outside of our realm of, of comprehension. So one of the themes in my work is self-development. I'm, I'm passionate about, you know, one, one of the destructive pieces of diagnosis in the DSM is that it removes the human aspect of a person. It creates a label of diagnosis. And so that's helpful in one way to lead us and guide us. Um, but what's lacking is, uh, and in my work with autism really revealed this, as I got so many young people in adolescence and young adulthood with no sense of self. Behaviorally, they could, they could function. They knew kind of what to do in social situations, but the, the lack of the sense of self. And so this self-development piece, which is encapsulated by self-repair, um, self-forgiveness, changing maladaptive schemas, and being able to connect socially, not only in 
giving, but in receiving. And so this element, and this is, you know, Alan Shore uh, is a researcher who, who has written a lot about this. Susan Harder uh, is another one. And so that was a fundamental component of my work. And rather than seeing people as sick and broken, seeing them as somewhere in their development, they have a hiccup, they had an abandonment, they had a trauma, they had some sort of disruption in their development. And, and the theme of that usually happens is they turn that negatively on themselves. If things don't work out, if I'm not loved, it must be me. I must be the problem. And then that cycle continues. So that was one element. And then where the play comes in is, um, and your question was about kind of how did I choose, you know, what works, what doesn't? Well, um, again, diving into the, the literature, you know, some of the therapeutic powers of play, uh, this draws from the work of Charles Schaefer, facilitating communication, instilling self-regulation and empathy, enhancing social relationships, and then creative problem solving and resiliency. So the theme of incarcerated persons is condemned isolation. There's enough patterns of broken relationship and the ultimate broken relationship is with society. The the incarcerated, and, and please, you know, for those listening, don't think that I see them, you know, just they're all these poor victims. No. Uh, however, the the ultimate rejection is is societal rejection. And it's it's you've done enough things, you're gonna go here, and this is where you're going to be, and that becomes your identity. And so looking at what elements of play are necessary. And so in a self-development view, as well as play, um, rebuilding the sense of self, that you are important, the, the self-worth and self-value, um, being able to tell your story, you know, an important element in self-repair. Uh, that's a term that comes from Alan Shore. Uh, that self-repair piece is about retelling my story based on who I know that I am now, um, play brings you present. Play forces you to be in the moment. However, it creates a safe distance from things that are triggering, from things that are disturbing, from things that are not so pleasant to look at. So part of the play that I use is self-representative. So for instance, we do a, we do a uh, little exercise where I just bring in a ton of toys and the the fathers choose one and they tell a story about it maybe that reminds them of a toy they had when they were young um, many of them didn't even have toys and then you know they tell a story through that object a football um, a truck a, an object like like uh, uh, some kind of uh, lego minifigure or an action figure so that's one part of it. Another part is the relational cultural play therapy. And digging into the literature, I found this type of play therapy called relational cultural play therapy. And it's rooted in the idea that we are a part of a bigger system. So interestingly, 
um, Native American groups, play was an active part, is an active part of the family life cycle as well as the community life cycle. And, you know, we're kind of wired for um, that social connection, joining our clan, being a part of our clan. And if you watch how even in the animal world, play is this part of figuring out the world around me. Um, and so in relational cultural play, there's this theme of playing together. So that's where I brought in games, um, two-player games, even four-player games, uh, where this I'm connecting with the people around me as um, working towards one goal, but I'm but I'm with them uh, together. So going into it, I had this idea that with the self-development coupled with these play elements to tell the story, to get to know myself, to forgive myself, and to then find the energy to move forward towards rebuilding and sustaining relationship. Because one of the things that's missed, you know, we think about um, from our outside view, oh, you get released from prison, you find a job and life is good. You go to work. Well, there's sometimes restitution that has to be paid. There's mandated um, counseling, drug court. Um, there's probation fees. But then think about this. You've been away from your child, let's say just two years. When you went in, your son was nine. Now he's 11. Um, you went in when your daughter was 12. Now she's 14. Um, you've been distant. And by the way, with COVID, um, visitation was a disaster. Visitation's not good anyway. It takes hours to check in and to get set up. But what they did during COVID was the, the fathers sat in incarcerated uh, plexiglass cages and the mother and the child or whoever brought the child is in another plexiglass cage, six feet apart, can't touch. Um, communication's terrible. Um, I witnessed this. Uh, it was, in fact, a lot of the dads told their families, just don't come, it's too much. And it was too much strain on the, on the children. So we got creative. How do I rebuild relationship with my nine-year-old who I can only talk to on the phone and I can only write letters to? Well, that's possible. So um, we can do that. And so that became another element of, of our relational piece of the play and the self-repair and self-development was energy towards rebuilding. But these, these incarcerated folks have to re-assimilate into their community. This is often the community that they were expelled from. Um, their spouses or their partners have moved on yet their children have moved on too. So even just two years of incarceration, think of how much a child changes in two years. And so, um, and then there's a high percentage of incarcerated folks that never had a nurturing relationship when they were children. This is a big theme, it's a big wheel. So there's no context of connecting, play, just avoidance, just kind of, I know I want to connect with them. I don't know how, therefore, I'll just avoid like the, the, the case that I work with. And so, so those are, that's kind of a, a foundational picture of how I crafted this. 
Dr. Hall, I just, I'm trying in my mind to envision, okay, you starting your day, I'm going to do play therapy at a prison. And, you know, part of me, if some of the stereotypes kind of come into how I'm envisioning this, I've, I've had experience playing music at a, a juvenile prison in the Bronx, which was pretty intense. So, like, you're getting in your car, you got your box of action figures and Legos, and you're driving to a prison. And you get there, and you got to show the security guards your box of toys. <laughs> okay. And they're, you know, just how they're looking at you and, like... <laughs> And then you're in, right? And you, what does that look like day one? Like this guy walks in with you and you've got your Padme Amidala action figure. <laughs> you're ready to go. I mean, I just, how do you sell that to that guy? <laughs> I, uh, just in my mind. I'm yeah. Like, Please. Great question. And, and you know, this is where um, it, it was daunting uh, because, first of all, I expected they would be happy to see me. The guards, I mean. The, the security, the guards that, that here I am bringing this in, right? Because the, the chaplain was so encouraged. Well, and I have family members who were guards um, in prisons in upstate New York, and uh, they were some of the first people I talked to. So that was useful. Then I uh, reached out to as many incarcerated persons that I, not that I know a lot, but there's a few that I was able to talk to about what was it like, you know? And so again, get information about the, you know, as much information as you can, but I was not prepared for the uh, kind of, you know, confusion, the chaos that's part of prison. Um, so yes, here I come, I've got these bags of toys uh, that I was told were approved and I've got these games and stuff. Well, it's just like going through security at the airport. Um, they run it through a scanner and then someone has to look at every item uh, because guess what? Just like our world was forever changed by the knuckleheads in 9-11, we forever have to take off our belts and shoes and, you know, for the rest of our lives people smuggle things into prison. And because of those few people, it affects everybody. So I had, because I had talked to family members, I had empathy for the guards and I tried to make it as easy as possible. Um, and of course it, it didn't go so well. I have this little basketball game, this, this hoops game. It has six plastic basketballs and it's a lot of fun. You, you get four people and everyone's shooting and, and it's a great tool. Well, it fell over in the scanner the balls went everywhere and I, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I'll help you get those. Well, then I set off the metal detector because I forgot to take off my belt. <laughs> so, you know, God bless the, the security folks. And so, and there's four checkpoints before you even get in. So you have to be patted down. Um, everything has to be inventoried. Um, you have to get your badge. You have to get your, there's a little buzzer in case you are in danger, you can buzz it. And hopefully the guards will come. I don't know if they really work um, so far. So good. Um, and then you go through this huge gate one last time and then you're in, you know, the facility. So that was daunting. Um, the first time, and of course, you know, the chaplain was supposed to meet me there. He wasn't there. I just went ahead and went through. And, you know, I had a youth pastor when I was young, uh, Roger Evans. He's passed on. 
he he was he was Jesus. Like I mean, this guy was fearless. He had lived in Turkey. He was a missionary's missionary. I mean, he was just you know he would walk up to anyone and share the gospel, and the gnarlier they looked, the better. I mean, he was so comfortable with homeless people and and just people on the fringe of society. So as I'm walking in, I'm like, Lord, I'm here because of you. What would Roger do? You know, and Roger would simply go to where he's supposed to go. And so I'm walking through and I've got about a quarter mile walk. It's it's long. There's the razor wire. Um, inmates are moving, you know, in between. There's a guard here and there, but it's I'm walking with them. Out of nowhere, I hear a voice. Hey, are you the play guy? And it's an inmate. And I'm like, yes. And he's in the sea of people. They all, you know, they're all wearing the same thing. He comes through and and he's like, I'm supposed to take you to where we're supposed to go. And I wanted to hug this guy. So there was my angel and he walked me through. There was another checkpoint. Um, I didn't have to get searched or anything, but you know, and then we finally made it to the dorm where my classroom is way in the back. It's at the very back of the facility. But, you know, so again, this was a whole new thing for me. I, I've, you know, my, my parents ran a homeless mission. Um, I grew up in with Christian parents who served in ugly places uh, with, with the fringe of society. But still, you're just not prepared um, until you're in it. And, you know, part of my brain's on high alert. Part of my brain is trying to think about how am I going to do this class? So I get to my first class finally, thanks to this, this gentleman who, who led me there. And, you know, then they don't know what, what is this about? What, what, is, what, are, what are we doing here? So yeah, it was that first run was was pretty eye opening, and um, I could tell you a lot of stories about other visits that that had you know because every time I go, there's a different set of guards. Now, thankfully, what they've done is I have a um, a process where they know I'm coming. All my stuff has been pre approved. It's really streamlined um, now, but um, they've never had someone like me in there, and so. Uh, this is new. And this is the whole thrust of why I'm doing this. My hope is that as I present this at conferences, write about it, that other play therapists, that other counselors will see, hey, this is doable. You know, this is kind of a model um, uh, because I can tell you it it is powerful. So um, I'm seeing some really great, great change. And uh, the stories are phenomenal. Dr. Hall, as, as we as we wrap up here, you know, I think one of the things that that is powerful, this is the, the way that you are able to humanize a population, which I think we have dehumanized, whether it's through the movies or through our own biases or whatever it may be. You know, the, the way that, that you just embrace that population for where they're at, I think, is a is a remarkable thing. And sure, I imagine there's anxiety and concern and fears that go along with it, but it didn't stop you from from going into that environment and, and using your God-given talents and abilities and experience to make life change. And 
I guess my, my question is, what did you notice or what were the outcomes that you've noticed from using play in that setting with that type of population? And I know you're, you're going to be presenting on this, I think, next year. And I imagine you're going to present some of that findings, if you want to call it that. But what are, what are some things, and maybe even if there's specific stories or cases that you can kind of share that might back that up, but what, what are some of the results that you've seen from using this in your experience? Great question. Um, one of the first ones that comes to mind, an element, a, an important element, and this is a key predictor of success, is uh, delayed gratification. People who, um, and for those of, you know, those young parents listening out there, boy, if there's one thing you teach your kids, it's, it's delayed gratification because this has ramifications, you know, all the way through. A part of, of delayed gratification is self-regulation. So being able to, in the moment, feel any emotion, but be able to not react. In dialectical behavioral therapy, they call it the wise mind, that I can feel things, I'm aware of it, but I'm also using my, my left brain, so to say, so I'm, I'm regulated. And so one of the key elements that I do right off the bat is in this self-understanding vein, I, I teach um, the dads, how does your brain work? How does your body work? Um, what goes on? You know, the firing of the sympathetic nervous system and then breathing. We do a lot of breathing techniques. And the way that I incorporate play into that is being able to use mindfulness, hold an object when we toss a ball around, practicing keeping your breathing regulated, uh, things like that. And so one of the things that stunned me was the first, it was the first class that I did, I walked them through this exercise where you basically relax your stomach. Um, it comes from a keto and um, you just release the tension in your body and then you just breathe. And I heard a choke. Someone sounded like they were choking. And I look up and one of the gentlemen was just in tears, like sobbing. And tears are like jumping out of his eyes. And so he kind of got himself together and um, I invited him to share about that. And he said, this is the first time since I was probably three or four years old that I've ever felt safe in my body. And I didn't realize it. And it was so overwhelming to him. So that's one experience, just from the get-go, like just from learning how to be in the moment and get my body relaxed. Um, a theme with a lot of the gentlemen that I work with are strained relationships. And some of them are grandfathers, they're fathers and grandfathers. So, I mean, we're talking long sentences. Some of them have, have been in 15 years. You know, some of them, some of them, they haven't seen their kids since he was two and now he's 19. So a cool thing, this is, this is one of the, gosh, I, I could go on for hours about this, but with the barrier of incarceration, how do I reach out? You know, I want to write my son a letter, but what do I say? And so in our self-development work, as they play out their stories, maybe they grab some Lego minifigures, 
And we do this in groups. So like, let's say there's four of them together. Their goal is in their group, they each have to tell their story and then receive the story and then play out an outcome. So with a, you know, some of them have a um, action figure. Some of them have the Lego minifigures just playing out what happened, why I'm here. Um, and then sort of in an empty chair way, how would my child feel about this? Think about this. And then what can, how do I respond? Cause there's anger from the children. There's, there's just nothing. Sometimes, you know, I've written letters, I get nothing back. So a theme with, uh, and I use a lot of art. So we do, we do drawings, we do um, representations, you know, and so a theme has been seeing these fathers find the energy because they're starting to feel better about themselves. They're starting to find that self-worth and value. And now they have energy towards reaching out. So they write that letter. They have that conversation. Um, they make an amend. They, they reach out somehow. And to hear the letters that they're getting back. Um, one guy came in one day. He was waiting right at the door for me. He's like, hey, I got to talk to you. I, can you, you know, give me a few minutes? And I'm like, sure. He said, my, my daughter, who I haven't heard from in years, I reached out to her. She wrote me back and it's ugly. It's, it's, it's one of the most awful letters I've ever gotten. She's angry. And then I said, yes, but she let you know. Something in your reaching out made her feel safe enough to release it. This is a good thing. And so working through that, how do I write her back? What do I say? You know, what do I draw? Um, things like that. And then the, th the third example that I can bring up is the change of just living life within that system with, you know, maybe they have two years to go or four years to go. But instead of seeing it as I'm stuck here, I'm just doing time that, wait a minute, I can change how I think about myself. I can see myself as part of a system. I'm here to help others. I can channel this energy um, through my own self-repair, my own healing. And suddenly I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I'm looking forward to what's going to happen great in my day today. And so that energy shift of coping within the system and part of it is all connected because they feel they have tools to reach out and rebuild and sustain relationships that then makes their existence there much better. And therefore then deeper level, they feel good about themselves. And so, so many of them have signed up for, you know, um, classes in, with, you know, computer science, um, the idea the forward vision of bettering myself once I'm out of here, I will be released and I need to prepare for that. So those are kind of broad examples, but those are the three areas um, where I've gotten really great feedback and um, with growth, change and healing. Gosh, I love it. And just praying about today, like, you know, really fulfilling the Lord's command, um, you know, to visit the imprisoned, right? And just, I mean, how often in our profession is this something that's happening? Uh, so how beautiful it is that, you know, you're, you're able to do this and to bring your gifts and your methods, you know, that 
suit you. Uh, just the idea of bringing play to a very difficult and misunderstood uh, population. It's just so fascinating. And on that point, Dr. Hall, I think you mentioned that you have an article coming out in December on your work coming out in Play Therapy Magazine, right? Is that right? Yes, correct. And, you know, the, the other element of this, all glory to God, because, you know, of course, as Christians, you know, nothing we do is of our own, you know, doing. And um, so I thank God daily for the knowledge, the wisdom, the opportunity. And one, one element I just wanted to highlight is laughter. I mean, getting goofy, you know, and we think of play therapy, we think of it just with kids, we think of play, oh, we don't do that anymore. Well, part of play is just bringing that playful spirit into things. Rough and tumble play, you know, seeing these guys, some of them are really close friends, and they give each other grief, you know, and, and uh, but the laughter that's going on in these games, um, when they're playing out these scenarios, some of these stories are hilarious, you know, uh, running away from, you know, trying to run from the pol police, but my pants fell down and I tripped and, you know, and, and other people start laughing. And then the guy's like, you know what, that is funny, you know, and just the, the laughter that, that, that is part of, of this healing process. So yeah, play therapy magazine, um, I wrote an article, it comes out in December. So I'll definitely share that. Yeah, that, that would be awesome. And and just thank you so much for coming on today with us. This is this is absolutely fascinating. And thank you also for being obedient, for going and serving that population that um like I said, I think it's forgotten. And so you've you've been obedient and, and being able to share that with us and and my hope is that this brings awareness along with the paper and the conference that you're presenting at and uh, others take their same skills and abilities and apply that in a similar way that you have. So um, it's been an absolute treat, Dr. Hall. Thank you for, for just everything and investing in our listeners and, and, and what you're doing. So thank you so much for being on today. Well, thank you guys, Robert and Jeff, for, for allowing me to you know, be able to speak about this and for doing what you guys do too. So. Yeah, thanks. Jeff, thank you for hanging with us today. Um, this is kind of the kickoff to our fall lineup. So we got some some great guests coming up. So I hope everybody can stay tuned. And um, Jeff, I don't know if you wanted to mention anything from anybody, any upcoming episodes coming up? Sure. Yeah, we have Dr. Uh, Deborah Brabroy coming on to talk EMDR. Uh, that'll be in a yeah. couple weeks. And then we're having uh, two professors on, which we've never done before, um, Dr. Tylon Crook and Dr. Stephanie Ford, to talk about uh, mental health issues and spirituality uh, within the African-American community, uh, yeah. which was a suggestion by Dr. Tyree, who we had on a couple weeks ago. So, right. yeah, that's that's going to be great. Look at us expanding our horizon, going with a double oh, guest boy. feature. Uh -huh. I mean, uh -huh. it's, it's the sky's the limit really here, you know. I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Jeff. Again, thank you, Dr. Hall, once again. Thank you, listeners, for uh, tuning in. I hope everybody has a wonderful and a blessed day, and we hope to hear from you next time. Thanks.